This episode of Jamie and Travis Present is brought to you by Missoula Janitorial Services. Cleaning is a necessary part of life, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. Jamie and Travis, Jamie and Travis, Jamie and Travis Present! Okay, I, I've been doing a lot of uh, self-analysis lately. Gross. Uh, yeah, and one thing I have come to understand about myself is that when my area is unkempt, when my desk is cluttered, when my office is dirty, when the trash bins are overflowing, I cease to function as a regular sociable grown-up. Totally. I cannot do anything. I like I like just become a Netflix couch potato, basically. I give up. True. Sweatpants time. Soft pants. Soft pants time. Yes. Um, and be, seeing that I also recently turned 30 years old, I uh, am also becoming very aware of the fact that the window for me to learn how to clean up after myself like a grown-up has closed. True. I think that it's over for me. True. I'm not going to ever learn... How to speak German. True. I'm not going to learn how to ride a bike. True. I'm not going to learn other things. I don't even know that I don't know how to do. True. Um, so knowing this now, I really I feel torn and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm feeling a little adrift, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Well, why are you doing it yourself? Um, I guess I just thought that that's what grownups did. I don't know. No, you can call Missoula Janitorial Services. They are licensed and insured and have been keeping Missoula clean for the last six years. And they specialize in commercial building cleaning, so no job is too big. But my business isn't like in an office building. You know, we run it out of our house, so it's a big mess, but it's a small space. Not a problem. Missoula Janitorial Services also offers weekly and bi-weekly cleaning for your home. Literally with one phone call, your house and office could be clean forever. Okay, well, how about this? I also have a rental property that has been the bane of my existence to keep, you know, like, health code standards. They also offer deep cleaning for property owners in their rentals. Shut up. I'm saying. Serious. Okay. Um, And it gets better. Okay. I'm just saying it gets better. Okay. Mention this ad. Okay. Oh, this is an ad. (laughs) Mention this ad and get 15% off new residential cleaning or 20% off the first month for commercial cleaning. 20% off a whole month seems like a pretty big deal. That's a big number. That's a big thing. That's a big number. And for, I just come home and it's clean. Just come home or you just show up at work and it's clean. Holy crap. All right. Who's doing this? The owner, Nathan Trusolino, is from Butte. Okay. So he's tough. Makes sense. I'm just saying. Makes sense. He's tough. There's no job too tough for this tough guy. He's from Butte. He's from Butte, so he means business. And he's, he's had a job since he was seven. He's had a job. He's owned a business since he was seven. He's, he's owned a he's, Probably. Oh, that's awesome. How do I get a hold of these guys? You just got to call them at 406-490-2710 or visit MissoulaJanitorialServices.com. Wait, hold on. Hold on. I want to write that number down. Say it again. 406 490 Whoa, slow down. Slow down. 406 406- <laughs> Four nine four nine zero two seven two seven one zero one zero. Visit MissoulaJanitorialServices.com to get your deal. Oh, awesome! Thanks, man. Awesome. Cool. Jamie and Travis. Jamie and Travis. Jamie and Travis present. Whoa, this is cool. <laughs> Hello? 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 Can, oh, she can't hear me. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Am I talking to her through the through the microphone or through the 
You're talking phone. to her through the microphone. So I, I, I can hear you oh. either way. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots hi, of guys. hi, Allison. Hello, Allison. This is so special. Thank you so much for talking to us. I'm so happy to be talking to you guys. This is really fun and exciting. I'm a fan of the pod. Oh, shut up. Whatever. You jerk. <laughs> uh, it no, is, I really I really do love it. Uh, it is really weird to hear your voice because, as I told you the other day, I've been absolutely binging girls. Like, in a way that makes you sort of sad or feel weird about your own life. You know, because... Uh-huh. Yeah, because you, you don't see sunlight. Yeah, and you stop. Really? Well, one also though, you stop watching the show, and you're like, "Oh wait, Adam Driver isn't my friend." I, oh, Aww. you know, or 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 other things like that. Uh, and finish. It's like virtual reality, basically. Um, I did finish. Oh my gosh! I watched. Oh my I watched. God. I watched for everyone. Okay, so <laughs> just so everyone knows, we are talking to Allison Williams. Uh, Hi. Uh, Marnie on Girls. She also yeah. uh, stars in Get Out, which the funny thing was, Travis and I were so excited to talk to you because of Get Out. Uh, and then you were like, well, Girls just finished. You probably want to talk about that, too. And I was like, fuck, I never even watched Girls. <laughs> so I, It's just so funny because your mom loved it, and we've had a dialogue for six years about it. Which is a little bit, my mom has, as do, I'm sure lots of people have these relationships in their life, when my mom emphatically recommend something to me I almost it almost makes me not watch it yeah I, I understand I um I my brother and I had that relationship with my dad and music for a really long time because he was always trying to tell us these songs to listen to and it was just like ugh, we gotta like download it and it's so annoying and then we realized that he was usually like six to eight months ahead of the curve in terms of new bands. And we realized that we would be significantly cooler if we listened to his recommendations. That's he true. He was like way ahead, which was very annoying to admit, but inevitably he's just right. He knows what he's talking about. And this just proves again, your mom's taste is excellent. Okay. <laughs> well, we could talk about that. Um <laughs> Uh, uh, but I, in the last two weeks, I've watched, I've watched six, I've watched six seasons of Girls, which oh my God. is like, at you least... You watched me grow up. I watched you, I watched you become a, a woman, I think. Yeah, you watched me grow up in real life, and then you watched me become a woman on television. Right, and everyone, full disclosure here, uh, Travis, Jamie and Travis did not just land <laughs> our, our first celebrity interview. <laughs> Allison and I grew up together, which actually probably, Allison, uh, probably 70% of the people who listen to this podcast, I have already said that to in person. Uh, so they're all Aww. probably like, oh, yeah, Jamie grew up with Allison. We know that. It's the first thing well, he says. fucking tells saying, everyone that. <laughs> saying that we grew up together is somehow doesn't do justice to how much time we spent together. It's for true. example, for a period of time, my best friend in the world was your grandmother, Little. Whoa. Really? Did you not know that? I mean, I so here's the thing is I don't remember my childhood <laughs> as well as other people seem to. I mean, n- now that you say that, that rings a bell, maybe. Because, I used to go over to her house and we would have uh, tea and cookies and I would make these books with her. I'd draw things and write fuck, books. Where and, was I? What was I doing? You weren't invited, dude. This is a girl time. That is, a, and then that was a real thing. She helped contribute to my button collection, which I still have somewhere. And she just was a really special friend to me. And to be a real downer, 
when she passed away, it was my introduction to the fact that people aren't around forever. Oh, you know what's really funny, Allison, is I remember that period because remember both my grandparents died the same summer. Um, And then around that time, also a dear friend of our family's uh, passed away. And I remember for a whole summer. Yep. I remember for a whole summer feeling like, oh, fuck, people die. And it was totally like it was like this line in the sand where all of a sudden I realized that it was like really dark. Yeah, that's when it happened for me, too. We had the exact same experience of it. I didn't sleep for a really long time because I I don't know why people poo poo kids not wanting to go to sleep. Like, of course, you don't want to sleep. You're basically dying. You're basically electing to be what feels like and must be what it's like to die. And because no one can explain what it feels like to die, all their descriptions of it sound a whole lot like going to bed. (laughs) So if my kid is ever, if I have a kid that is like resisting sleep, I'm going to be like, you know what? Existentially, I get it. I understand. Yeah. You know what we talk a lot about too? Is why do kids need to eat all the fucking food on their plate? I love what you guys talked about that. Why is that a thing? It's it's so interesting. I've been wondering the same thing. I think it has to do with respect and manners. What? And, um... For, I don't know, for but your it mom's is irrational. Respect for your mom's I, cooking? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you should do a study that's like, if it's delivery, our parents as insistent. But then it's money. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. It's very maybe weird. It's, maybe it's preparing kids for the eventuality of having dinner with another family um, when it would be rude to not. It would look like you didn't like their food if you didn't eat it You want to know how I'm going to handle that? Uh, with my How children gonna someday, that? I'm going to say, hey, just so you know, I know this food sucks, you don't have to finish it, or you're not hungry, because <laughs> uh, you have a tiny little belly. Uh, when you're at your friend's house, try to finish it. There. Done. Yeah, that's... Did it. Wow. Solved Good it. Idea. All the eating disorders, I just fixed them. <laughs> Jamie Rogers, Parenting 101. Jeez. Um, exactly. So, Allison, so... Sorry. So, so yeah. girls, you... Yeah. This, was, this has been... I mean, you, you have done other things professionally... Um, not a lot, but well, and that's kind of what I'm getting at is this has been your kind of your life for like a long time and kind of like your most of your adult life so far. Right. Well, I grew up like, I'm not even really kidding that I spent what has become such a pivotal decade of exploration, which David Brooks called the Odyssey years. I spent all of those years embodying a person who was going through that experience in a much more typical way. Meanwhile, my life remained relatively unchanged. Unlike every single one of my friends, I had the same job. I lived in the same place. I was with the same guy. Yeah. And so the big the big joke in my friend group was like when they were considering jobs you know, overseas or across the country, I was like, take it. I'll be here. <laughs> when you get back, I will still be here and nothing will be different. And if that helps make you feel less anxiety about what you're about to do. Let me know, because we always knew girls would be at least six years. Oh, really? That was always the plan? Yeah, you signed a six-year contract, and it became clear pretty early that Lena was going to be able to do it for as long or as short as she wanted to. Because Um, of just the quality of the show and everything? Yeah, and I just think HBO realized how important it was right now, but that also it has the potential to be kind of a time capsule for this. I mean, already it feels a little weird to imagine... And shooting a new season of Girls without addressing what's happening in the country. Right. So it was kind of perfect timing to be able to show such 
um, inwardly focused young women um, who my hope for them is that they're starting to become more outwardly focused. Um, So I I think it spanned kind of the perfect time even in history. But anyway, so it was, um, it was very strange to not, I feel like I was spared a lot, but to not go through much of what Marnie was going through was really, really interesting. In terms Um, of just like, of like, like I didn't have any sort of, Yeah, I never wondered what I wanted to do with my life. I was never, uh, we got married the same year, but my marriage is much more, um, it's just much better and also much less ill-advised as hers was. I wanted to Better than your marriage to Desi? I know, isn't that weird? I'm very lucky. I'm sorry, (laughs) watching that, the day you meet that motherfucker on that show, I'm sorry, Marnie (laughs) meets that motherfucker on that show, you're like, Marnie, get it together. Come on, sister. No. He has a guitar. What's a girl supposed to do? He has a guitar and he's got a flat chest. And I mean, yeah, I mean, he's hot. But Jesus, man, what a dick. What a dick. Marnie, Marnie, we talked about this the other day. And and, uh, and you were right. You told me, I said to you that Marnie, I thought, was underwritten. Yes. Travis, I'm sorry that we're we haven't talked to each I other. Know, like, no, Travis. no, 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 no. Keep going. I, I have I have interesting Inter- things. Interject. to say. No, no, no. I have really, 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 Dude, really even, interesting. If they're things not to interesting, say. that's okay, man. <laughs> Allison and I are super no? comfortable. I'm waiting. I'm just, okay. just give me a uh, second. Uh, <laughs> uh, Take a nap. But, we'll tap you when this is over. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I said to you that that I thought I thought Marnie at the point where I was it at in the season in the show which was like the beginning of season five i was like she just seemed so underwritten meaning that at that point kind of the only redeeming quality about marnie in my mind was that ray liked her even like yeah. despite ray's uh better intuition you know like ray couldn't help but like you and yeah. that was like the thing that made me like marnie even though sometimes marnie kind of fucked him um, I know, and well, here's the thing about Ray too. Just to explain that a little bit, from the beginning, Judd especially realized that well, adults. Hey, we use, the show. we use we like to use full names on this show. Judd Apatow, oh. who's our executive producer. Okay. I'll say Judd. You say Judd Apatow. Perfect. Okay. Judd Apatow, my boss of six years yeah. and our executive producer, realized that the the adult members of the audience were going to need someone to sort of yell at the girls. That was like a grand. <laughs> Yeah, and thus was born Ray. Um, and Ray, played by Alice Karpovsky, is I love kind him. of a misanthrope. I love him, too. I love him so much. In many ways, he was really the only partner for Marnie that was even remotely qualified to deal with her. But yeah. I actually think she belongs alone for a little while. Um, oh, but totally. anyway, um, when Marnie is at a low point she shows up at Ray's apartment and asks him what's wrong with her <laughs> yeah. and then of course falls in love with him because like her dad he's being mean to her um, and so I don't blame you the fact that he endorsed Marnie to put it very sort of clinically is exactly was exactly one of the moments where the show was saying like well if he's if you've seen the show through his eyes and he's his affections are with Marnie at the moment. What does that say about Marnie? And does that make you change your mind about her as well? And then very quickly enters Desi and it explodes. I know, man, those are hard. The music stuff is hard. I mean, because it's awful. It's, it's just hard. Travis, I feel like you 
in particular would enjoy that storyline. Uh, well, so on that note, I watched every episode with my girlfriend, Bridget, who is a 29-year-old actress who is also struggling, or not struggling, she's doing well, to get into like the business world. So she watched every episode, she watched every episode of like Sex and the City or any of these uh, girl-centric shows that make you smile and you say, oh, I'm that person or I'm that person. She watched every episode of Girls and was either silent the whole time or <laughs> groaning or we, we, would fin- we, <laughs> we would finish an episode and she would say, ah, I got to get my shit together. And, uh, and, and like, but based on like her relationship with friends, with her own friends. Where it was too real. Yeah, it was too real. Like we had, we had to interject like episodes of like, uh, uh, Seinfeld to get away from Starship Troopers. The the reality. Yeah. So then when I, there's nothing aspirational about it. No, no. So then for, for me watching the the introduction of the guy with an acoustic guitar, which I'm an I'm a guy with an acoustic guitar. I Watching know. you're the, a very different guy with an acoustic guitar. Uh, well, uh, I'm not I'm not uh, well, his shirts maybe, are different. Maybe maybe I'm different. But uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, watching him come what? In, what? maybe <laughs> <laughs> well watching him come into the script, I was like instantly that then I had that same feeling of oh I know where this is gonna go. He's crazy. <laughs> Like he is, he is going to, my, my theory instantly was he was going to bounce through every female character, which, uh, which he didn't ah. because of that's kind of what happens in real life is those guys kind of bounce from friend to friend uh, because they need somewhere to live or they, uh, or, or, yeah. or they have that second of charm, which he does have that second of charm, but otherwise it was it was written too well to where that was hard for me. Like I, I was debating, like, can I just fast forward when he talks? Yeah, because I know what he's saying. I get it. There, he he brought out he brought out the the most cringeworthy Marnie moment for me, Allison, and it was I had to write it down. I had to stop the show and write this down. It was season four, episode five. You uh-huh. and Desi are are I'm sorry, Marnie and Desi. I want to talk about that. You can in a say second. you. It's fine. It's interesting. Oh, I want to talk about that in a second. I want to explore that idea in a second. Um, <laughs> Great. Uh, but but you say to one of your friends, Marnie says to one of her friends, uh, "Yeah, we've just been like woodshedding all these ideas, and I just like really get lost." And then it might even be the same conversation Marnie says. <laughs> We've been getting some nibbles from record, record companies. Oh, God. And I, like, fucking started <laughs> screaming. It was ju- I can't believe whoever wrote that did that to Marnie, that son of a bitch. Jesus Christ. Woodshedding and nibbles in the same fucking conversation. Holy shit. I know. It really rammed it down our the throats. Wood- <laughs> the woodshedding, um, I know, I'm so sorry. The woodshedding reference happens. When Hannah can't reach her, and Marnie says that they go, they don't use their cell phones. Oh, that's when right. They go on a cell phone diet. <laughs> yeah. It was a cell phone diet. It's the worst. It's, it's the, the worst. worst. Even worse. It's even worse than you remember. It is. It's worse than I remember. <laughs> oh, man. To me, to me, the greatest economy of storytelling, perhaps in our show's history, as it pertains to Marnie's emotional state, is at the opening Marnie scene of season five where she is being uh shall we say pleasured in the kitchen oh but sent over a counter and the dialogue (laughs) is um 
Desi says, I love that. And Marnie says, I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) So good. That says everything. Yeah, you ha- yeah you it's skipped over like all you need to know about her. Totally, totally. It's uh, like twenty seconds, and you're caught up. I had no interest in asking you about that. Well, I totally did, but then I thought, man, you, she's a woman and she's a professional. Why are you going to ask her about this? But that dude's head was in between your butt cheeks. There's no. I've talked about this more than perhaps any other scene because everyone is everyone is puzzled by it. I mean, his um, there's no faking that. Is there some kind of prosthetic of course, barrier? Are you kidding? I spent weeks thinking about how to build something for that. And I engineered something out of giant menstrual pads for, like, I think giant women who have giant periods. You had to do this? Yeah, because I didn't want to. I mean, it's totally up to me. I could have worn that flimsy thing that we wear during all of our sex scenes. But I wanted to not be able to feel feel him not a merkin we don't because i wasn't nude there were no merkins necessary but props for sorry. knowing what a merkin is sorry i'm so glad you heard me interject that word oh anyway i'm very proud of you that's that's deep knowledge um no it's like a weird little song that just adheres to you so that there's nothing on the side okay it's the best way i can describe it but other than rather than just wearing that i rigged this giant thing that was like padding so it served two purposes one is that i didn't have to feel a lot and yeah. then the second is that he didn't have to feel like he was in my butt because he and looks like he's in your butt his sure face does. is gone well, we did, yeah we just adhered underwear to my body and then we cut it away until you couldn't see it on camera anymore awesome hollywood man it's hollywood magic <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but so you you were totally right. Marnie in the last two seasons, uh, I think the peak of really the peak of of the the bat like of where Marnie's life seems really off the rails is the wedding. Um, yeah. Which, by the way, was that like filmed in New Canaan, Connecticut? Close, Pound Ridge. Damn, I was like, God, that is totally where we grew up. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, so it's, it, that's, that, that is where you're thinking everything that comes out of Marty's mouth is bullshit. And, and you she, called me and that was the last episode you had seen. Yes. And then Marnie, uh, for lack of a better word, like kind of, I don't know, like toughens up, gets realer as it goes on. Yeah. She starts looking at herself. Totally. Little, tiny little glances. And it's almost like de- the the failure of the the marriage with Desi and and therefore their professional relationship seems to be what like brings her back to earth. I because think. I think that for Marnie, she has a mom who pl- is played brilliantly by Rita Wilson, but is like a is less interested in being a maternal figure to Marnie than a peer. Right. But also just rejects her at every turn. And she has a father who's completely absent and also had was an addict and had sex addiction and um, doesn't even show up to Marnie's wedding. And no siblings. So Marnie has no natural ability to ground herself. She has nowhere to go or no one to turn to. And because of, you know, the fact that she's pretty, she's always been able to bounce from guy to guy and she's never had to develop the skill of being able to ground herself. And so whenever she's at sea, she's really lost. She's, like, more lost than Hannah, who can turn to either or both of her parents. Um, she is lost until she can find a guy to swing to. And her, that's her instinct because that's how she's learned to just 
stay alive and to survive the world. Um, so when her marriage to Desi fails, uh, and that is kind of at least it crescendos at that episode, Panic in Central Park with Marnie and Charlie reuniting. Um, Charlie is which- looking hot, by the way, when he comes back. <laughs> in that Canadian tuxedo, holy! Well, shit. how about his tattoo, which was Chris Abbott's idea that said "Humble Life" on his chest? <laughs> oh my god, so it's awesome. too real! Fuck! <laughs> how okay. awful is that? It's pretty bad. Um, but anyway, so she she kind of over the course of that day realizes that her barometer, her compass, is totally shattered and broken, and she has to just start being there for herself. And actually being there for herself rather than being there for the self that she sees on the horizon that she's just sort of vaguely working towards. By the end of the show, she's working backwards in the way that her judgment should always have been operating, i.e., I like rules, therefore law might be an interesting career for me to go into, rather than I like the way Desi looks and I like what our life would look like together. Let me go for that. Yeah, the idea Um, and that exactly, and that's real growth. That's why I was so hopeful when the show ended for Marnie's future. The end is really hopeful, uh, and yeah. and but it, the end is really hopeful, and and it it felt. I'll be honest with you, it felt a little bit like, oh, it's over. Um, not like oh, it's over, like all tied yeah. up. Um, but and I realized though, like how do you? That's I think kind of as good as it gets ending a six. I, Totally season agree. series, right? I mean, how do you do it in a totally satisfying way? There's probably you no can't way. do like a six feet under Breaking Bad thing because that's a drama. You can't just like conclude everyone's storylines really definitively. No, but I think with girls, like you know, you know where everyone is headed because you know them so well. Are they? And you just know they're all going to figure it out. Do you think that they're? Are they all not friends at the end? Um, I think Hannah and Marnie are friends, and with but Hannah's with- mom's advice, they may always be friends. Yeah. I think Marnie will stay at the house until, you know, she has to study for the LSATs and all that stuff. So you, has- Marnie's going to law school. That was real. Oh, yeah. I think that's real. Okay. Uh, it occurred to me, yeah. uh, and I told you this, Allison, but one of the reasons I hadn't seen the show before, uh, other than I got HBO Go from my mom fairly recently... And, and, you know, Game of Thrones. Uh, uh, (laughs) But, but, uh, was that I had heard when it came out that it was Sex and the City for Millennials. And I said, that's not for me. Um, I think what I've realized now is that I am in most ways a millennial girl. Uh, and I love everything about this show. (laughs) Welcome to the tribe. Uh, but the thing I love about the end of it, it's sort of like a fuck you to the Sex and the City comparison because it shows why the relationships depicted in Sex and the City are actually impossible now. Meaning, all these women who were growing, who grew up together, who are best friends in the world, like the women in Sex and the City, but younger, uh, that is not like a tenable relationship between four grown-ass women living in New York City today. It's just not... Yeah, or at very least... It's, there were a lot of things in our show that in some way were probably reactions to Sex and the City. For example, I think the four of us were only together something like 15 times. One of our producers counted it over the course of six years. Maybe really? 11. It might be fewer oh, than that. Yeah. That's crazy. And those were always awesome. my favorite scenes, but that's realistic. There's no central perk in Girl. Right. 
there's no unofficial meeting place where the audience can catch up with every person's arc by the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, there's not a giant loft apartment where you all hang out and just walk into each other's house. Exactly. There's (laughs) keys and like buzzers. Uh, Um, so it's very fragmented in a really real way. And I also think that in a way like Shosh, it's almost like she was raised by wolves and then joined civilization. And <laughs> That's that, so felt, true. that felt very real to me. That her And it started forming in her mind earlier. And I think going to Japan was a gesture to do something that none of us would ever do. But I think, like, for her to just say, like, I'm going to get off at this stop. This, you guys have long since been unable to help me grow in any way and in fact you just make me regress into some version of myself I don't like is a very adult move and I think is totally appropriate and um, I think the the finale is kind of like an epilogue is how I would describe it and episode 9 is more of a standard finale the four of us are all together we know that Jessa um, and Adam are going to be together and Jessa will continue being Jessa and um, Shosh is going to be with her fiance, and so we we know roughly where they're going, um, at least romantically. Jess has quit school, and Shosh is going to continue doing her job probably excellently. We know that Ray and Abigail have met each other in a beautifully unexpected bond that feels totally perfect. Mm-hmm. And Desi walked off into the sunset. Um, <laughs> I thought Desi was going to die. Actually, I thought Desi was going to get on that motorcycle and die. I know. That's what I thought. I know. Well, it's so funny you say that. Um, Initially, we ran out of time in production, and we weren't able to shoot this. And they might have cut it for just thematic reasons, too. But initially, when Marnie leaves that voicemail for Desi after the pawn shop, where she's like, I accept responsibility. You don't owe me anything. We were going to see Desi checking his voicemail on the top of a mountain. (laughs) (laughs) No way. Yes. And then throwing his phone over the side of the mountain. Well, it was implied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, uh, And now it's over. And now it's over. Okay, what's next? We're gonna. We have to talk about Get Out, obviously. But let's 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 talk about this first. Uh, Okay. What what do you what's next? What are you doing? Where are you? Right now, I'm sitting in my bed, and I've been really quietly, I think. Eating curly fries and grilled cheese. Fuck you. Are you serious? Uh-huh. That sounds so good. You live in New York City. And it pro- somebody brought it to you, too. Somebody delivered it. Because you can get any kind of exactly. food delivered. Oh, he suck. delivered it. You suck, Allison. From a Hollywood diner. Shut up. Are they Better seasoned? Are they seasoned curly fries? Of course they are. Seasoned They're like cafeteria curly. curly fries. Oh, I love it. That sounds so good. Nice. So okay. good. Okay, so that's um, awesome. Sitting in my bed. Um, I Most of my days right now are split between Horizon stuff and I'm also starting to get more involved with um, criminal justice reform stuff. So mostly I'm doing extracurricular things. So you're actually doing what Marnie was going to go do, basically. uh, Kind of, except I don't think I'm about to become a lawyer. It would be super helpful if I were a lawyer, but I don't, I don't. Well, maybe I'll have time. I don't know. Jeez. Doesn't James Franco has made time to get like 12 PhDs, hasn't he? Oh, true. Fucking Franco. Right? He can do it. He can do it. You can yeah. do it. It's just law school. Um, okay, yeah, so, and law. for people that don't know, Horizons is a very cool uh, not for profit that helps uh, kids in what, the tri state area, do we say? Where, where... Actually, it's a 
expanded. I mean, it, in the last 10 years, it's expanded over the country, and now we're in 17 different states. Holy shit. So um, cool. And your mom and is like, integral to that, which is really neat. And she's, she's the been head of the forever. board, yeah. She's like a real motor, and she's always been. And it started at the elementary school that Jamie and I went to. And basically, we go into communities where there is money, and we take over one of the rich people's schools, typically. It can be a college campus or a charter school or just a well-set-up school. And then over the summer, low-income kids come to the campus for six weeks and catch up in school and get a little ahead and then also have fun. Cool. Um, and it ends up getting rid of something called the summer slide where if you're from a low-income family, and especially if you're from a family that speaks Spanish or another language at home, you end up falling cumulatively behind so that by the time you're in fifth grade, you're often at a third grade level. And Horizons completely does away with that. So I'm technically their ambassador, but honestly about half my time every day is spent doing stuff for Horizons and then doing a lot of criminal justice stuff. I just got back from uh, visiting some state prisons in California, um, heading to a retreat at a prison in Massachusetts. and then I also am um, producing a couple of things that I bought the rights to and haven't had time to work on. What um, the fuck? What I does that mean? So I read a book that I loved, okay. short personal essays, and I bought the rights to it so that I can adapt it into something. What is um, it? Who likely wrote? a short... You can't talk about Sorry? it. Sorry? Can you talk about it? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Okay. Um, That's so cool. And then I listened to a podcast episode that I loved, and I bought the rights to the story, one of the stories in the podcast episode. And thank you so much for that, Allison. We are waiting <laughs> you know, for the check. I'll be telling the story of the closing billiard hall. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. That is, it will be so good. It was like the color of money. <laughs> it's going to be like, you've got mail. Oh, billiard. no. You've got money. Oh, that's awesome. Um, uh, that's so cool. So you're thinking a little bit more on the production side. In the future, yeah. maybe. Do you feel like once you get to... Well, a... because I'm just worried that, like, um, what I want to do won't exist. I mean, it took me six years to find a movie like Get Out, and I wasn't going to do something that I didn't love or that didn't move the needle in some way before then because I had girls. I could afford to be picky in every sense of the term. Totally. So I waited, and there were some things I went for and didn't get, but a lot of things that came to me were, like, different versions of Marnie or um, just like a movie to do a movie that didn't really like, I didn't think anyone would remember or think deeply about or talk about at dinner afterwards or want to talk to friends about. Um, And then I got sent the script for get out and I was like, Oh, this is just so clearly it. I have to do this. And luckily Jordan, the way he put it, Jordan Peele who directed get out and wrote it and thought about it and is a genius was like, I need you in this role because people trust you immediately and you're so white. <laughs> so yeah. I'm ready. Oh my God. And there's nothing whiter than the way she's eating Fruit Loops at the end of that movie. <gasps> that is just. I don't think I can ever eat Fruit Loops publicly again, which oh. is kind of a bummer because I really that, like them. Is that how you eat them? Is that, was that your idea? No, are you kidding? Oh. That's the craziest thing in the world. Of course that's not how I eat them. Um, yeah, Get Out is. I, I, I told you this, I think, but you are you're kind of like batting a thousand because um, you were you, you were in Girls, which is amazing. Uh, then I don't know if people remember this, but you were in the live Peter Pan yes thing, which you know whatever. If you don't like musicals, if you don't like that kind of thing, yeah, that is not for you. It's not for you. <laughs> you don't like musicals. 
But at the end yeah. of the day, mad props because you got on fucking live TV and did that. Holy shit. I cannot Thank fucking you. imagine. That sounds awful. Actually, I'm getting goosebumps yeah. thinking about how awful that seems to me. So It was really, really fun and really hard. I've never worked that hard in my life. I don't know that I ever will. It was How do you go to sleep? Months. Like the night before, how do you um, go to sleep? Uh, the night before, I took anti-anxiety pill to go to sleep. You got yeah. a, the doctor. On it. I wasn't going to be able to sleep otherwise. No, I'm prescribed it. I have a healthy amount of Connecticut-based anxiety. Okay, Thank you good. very much. Yes, me too. <laughs> me and you both. Um, it's, it's you can a- compare meds <laughs> off air. Um, but uh, that was like, you know, I've never been so regimented. I've never had a routine before in my life because of what I do. So... Peter Pan was the closest thing I had to a routine. I'd wake up every morning, I'd stretch out, I'd, um, you know, do a few exercises to warm up my body, I'd get to the sound stage. This is in the last month before the event. Um, I'd fly for an hour going through the flying routes, um, then we'd do a full day of rehearsals. Oh, you mean like I'd, hooked up to the I'd wires? Like, like, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. And then I'd fly again at the end of the day, I'd go home, uh, have dinner. I was on a meal delivery plan. It was disgusting, but I just didn't want to think about what to eat every day. Um, I would watch the tape from the day before while I ate. I'd shower. I'd stretch again um, and go to bed and do it all over again the next day. And there was something so clarifying about it. Literally everything else in my life just disappeared. Yeah. And I was singularly focused on this. And um, so I did it because it came about at a time when the world was really scary in a way that I imagined was unavoidable for little kids. Like there's no way that little kids are able to avoid seeing the cover of the post when there's been a beheading or something like that. And I just remember what an impact Peter Pan had on me when it, anytime I was trying to act older than I was, there'd be this little thing in the back of my mind that was like, but if you grow up too fast, then Peter Pan will think you're cool. And I just thought, like, what a good time for Peter Pan to come back into the consciousness when kids are growing up even more quickly when you can Google if Santa's real or not. Oh, shit. I never thought about that before. Yeah. That sucks. And um, so that's why I did it. And so the most rewarding thing is hearing from parents, even though they look at me with such pain in their eyes because they've had to watch it a million times, hearing from them that their kids love it, clap for Tinkerbell every time. Um, they sing the the music in the car. Like, that's really... It's movies like Peter Pan, the Mary Martin version, or Wizard of Oz, Mary Poppins. That's why I do what I do today, because I was so just moved and inspired by what I was seeing in those old movies. So you're being very... You are not... uh, You're not just looking for the next job. You really are interested in the right job, it sounds like. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well... Um, it's also selfish because I watch people, I, I talk to actors who finish shooting something and it's a nightmare for one reason or, or another, or then I see someone on a talk show couch promoting something I can tell they hate. Um, you know, every time I do one of these things, it becomes a real family. I lean in 100% to whatever I'm doing. In uh, For Get Out, I moved to Alabama, I rented a house, it became kind of where everyone hung out. I brought Moxie the dog down. And my assistant came down with me, and we just had the most incredible time. With Peter Pan, I moved out to Long Island to be near the sound stage, um, and I still run into a lot of the camera operators from Peter Pan because we had so many of them, which is so fun. But these are bonds, and let alone girls, that's my family. 
these are bonds that are so strong because my investment level is so high and I cannot imagine doing it differently. I can't imagine coming in for like three days, not knowing anyone's name or what they were working on before, where they live or how many kids they have. Like I kind of refuse to be able to know what that version of my job is. Right. And so I realize that that requires patience and frustration and self doubt and rejection and all of those great reasons to become an actor. But the reward is so high that when I am doing what I love doing most in the world, which is my job, um, because I've been so picky, everything around me, the atmosphere, the people, the project itself, is just adding to the reasons that I love my job. And I'd be so heartbroken if I picked the wrong thing for the wrong reasons and then I was miserable every day. I'd be resentful mostly that it was making me feel differently about what I do for a living. Did Bradley Whitford yeah. come hang out at your house? <laughs> of course he did. He did? He's, he's a, yes. He's, he's the best. He's a really close buddy. He's Fuck you, truly really? the best. Yeah. You're like buddies. We're buddies. I love oh, him. so great. I'm obsessed with him for some reason. Um, that, that's good reason. He's great. Um, Allison, the, uh, the, the beauty of your career path so far is in my house, I hear about you on a weekly basis, not from Jamie, but from Bridget who adores, like she, she is, she loves musicals to the point that she's embarrassed. And so we watched a couple seasons of girls loved it. She talks about, she talks about the writing. It's the first time she's like talked about writing. It's the first time she's like discussed that thing. It really inspired her. And then, and then it was announced that you were going to be Peter Pan. And I thought she was going to start crying because she loves, just loves that. And like, then she also despises, hates any sort of suspense and horror. And has never seen anything like that. And so when I said, we should go see Get Out, she said, well, I heard it's scary. I said, but Marnie's in it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we instantly... The walked. only time that's ever convinced someone to see Get Out. Uh, I know. Well, and then uh, and she said, oh, uh, okay. And instantly we went and saw it the next night. Aww, and, oh, my uh, God. Well, and, now, I need, now I need to know Bridget. Oh, and she, sure. And, she, and then she walked out of that movie with such satisfaction. Not, not to the point where I can get her to watch any other suspense or horror, but to the point where she was, like, it was so, it was written so well. Your character was amazing to where she didn't, she didn't feel, she didn't hate you at the end of it. She felt like it was like a weird, like, yeah, but... I built up goodwill with her. Yeah. Her oh, yeah. She couldn't, she, she was denying that you were a bad guy <laughs> up until the very end. Well, it's a, you go, the fucking get out, man. The, the char- your character goes from like, you know, a woke ass woman in the beginning, like who, who who's like going to, you know, tell the cop that he's being full of shit and like shut oh, him down yeah. and stuff. So good. Uh, Which oh, has two motives to it. Oh, wait, talk about that. Well, so everything everything she does throughout the movie actually really is just for the sole purpose of getting him to the living room for her dad's spiel, because for whatever reason, he insists on doing that little speech in front of the fire. And so her job is to get him there. If a cop takes his ID and he goes missing, what do you oh, think happens? Oh, God, this movie is so fucking tight. Everything is yeah, so tight. Yeah, it really tight. is. That's what I keep saying to Jordan. I'm like... You made a watertight movie. It's, it's so, so tight, including the fact that 
what Rose does in that scene where she confronts the cop is actually pretty dangerous and something I wouldn't recommend if you're in, like, backcountry with a black dude because it ends up being more dangerous for the person of color that you're with. But it's just part of the fake arc that we were building about Rose's awakening. Yeah. So that she starts there and starts to realize, to see her family clearly. Like, that's all performative on her part. Yeah. And her constant pulling of levers to be like, how sympathetic to his concerns should I be in order to keep him around? How much should I downplay them so that he's not paranoid? Um, you know, all of these different things. Um, she's likely the one unplugging his phone. There's just, oh, yeah. there's, yeah. she's just being so careful the entire time um, to make sure that he just, no matter what, is on her side, including getting frustrated with him at a certain point because that, how do you doubt someone that's been mad at you recently for right. abandoning her at a party? Right. Oh, fuck. It's really good. Uh, uh, anyway, so she goes on that insane arc, right? It, it is, um, you know, the thing that was so, so I mean, it's so tight. Uh, you know, even Travis and I were just talking about this the other day. I It was weeks later that I realized, you know, there's this weird scene in the middle of the movie where... They're playing bingo. Bingo. Silent bingo. Yeah. And the movie is so, it's so bizarre up to that point, but it's also just so well made. Uh, like, for instance, and well made in the way that I don't even know that I know how to describe it, just pacing and like confident editing. I don't know. Like, for instance, I tried to watch Suicide Squad yesterday. Uh, Gross. Fucking. Yeah, I did too recently. Holy so shit. I mean, Sorry. 10 minutes in, you're like, why? Why? So why bad. did they make the movie like this? They just keep introducing I I, all the characters, and it's a different pop song. Yeah. I, I just don't... I didn't understand what happened there. Yeah. there was, it was set up to do so well, and a montage of introducing people like Ocean's Eleven style is usually awesome. so well paid off. It's it, so fun seeing the gang get together, yeah, you know? Yeah, but the gang gets together for an hour and a half, they, and then New York City blows up. They must have spent more money on music than oh, they did that's on exactly Will Smith. what Carly said. Carly yeah. said the exact they must thing. have spent more money on music than Will. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this... Um, get out... He, we, our movie cost four point five million dollars, and we have um, we have Redbone by Childish Gambino, which I think is a better song than just about any song. It's the one in the beginning that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Stay woke. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's fucking amazing. So so uh, the, the Get Out is the opposite, meaning that you're watching this movie and you just trust. You just trust it. You know. So the weird bingo scene, I didn't even like think about it. I was just like, ah, I I don't know. These weird fucking crazy white people are playing weird silent bingo because they're fucking weird and it fits. Oh my God, that's so funny. You didn't know it was an auction. No, it was literally, I just said to Travis like last week, I was like, it was a fucking auction. I didn't even get it. Uh, But of course, I've also been thinking about it for a month and a half or whatever since I saw it. Um, uh, And God damn, that is like, what a a, like rare thing to just trust. I hope Jordan Peele has plans to direct a lot more movies. He's pretty much, like, he's not really interested in acting at all anymore and just wants to direct. And he has a bunch of ideas for social thrillers. And, um, social Get Out was thriller. the first one. Yeah, Whoa. he kind of started a genre. So and that's... I want to be in every one of them. I was going to say, the, the other thing that's amazing about this movie, and, and unfortunately Montana, not surprisingly, Get Out did not get probably as much uh, distribution as it did in other states. Um, no, although I'm hoping a few people wandered in thinking it was just a normal horror movie and maybe did some deep thinking afterwards. It definitely didn't happen. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, but it is, it's a new, this because the, the tone, the mood of that movie 
is so like, I don't know, off kilter. Like I, you feel yeah. a little bit off balance the whole time. But like I said, you trust the, the, I don't know, perspective so much that you're okay with yeah. it. Uh, but at the end of it, you know, I'm, I'm admittedly, I think you could say that I'm sort of a basic bitch when it comes to movies. Like I, I see whatever movies every, everyone else sees, you know, I don't, I'm yeah. not like a connoisseur. Um, so me saying this, I'm sure we have some friends who are going to roll their eyes and be like, Oh, blah, blah, blah has been doing that for decades, man. Um, I don't know who blah, blah, blah is. Uh, but this was such a, it's a horror movie, but it also, I mean, it's funny as fuck when the TSA dude yeah. shows up at the end. I'm like pissing my pants. It's unsettling. Yeah, he's like one eyes. of the funniest people around. Jeez, man. Yeah, I think um, what Jordan did best, I mean, he did everything so well. I think the score is incredible. And the crazy thing is in our first, when I first actually met him face to face because he was in L.A. when we initially talked on the phone, um, he described the score to me, what he wanted it to be. And I was like, I can't hear that, what you're describing. But he so clearly knew what he wanted. And that's exactly, he was like, I want it to sound like a haunted, uh, like, African chorus. Yeah. And that's exactly, and that's exactly, and some weird strings. And like, nailed it. But so, every, everything he told us, we trusted. And anything that needed to be talked through, like, the 90 seconds from when he finds the photos to, you know, I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Is like, we spent like six hours talking through that period of time. I guess it's longer than 90 seconds, but it was like a page and a half of script. Um, and because we, we risked losing the audience if we didn't execute that perfectly. We needed, he was like, an, he was like a conductor orchestrating the way the audience was swaying at any given moment, the justifications, maybe Rose has been hypnotized. Maybe, maybe she doesn't know what's going on. Maybe she doesn't even know about those photos, like all that stuff. He wanted everyone to be thinking. And so in any given moment, our direction shifted to like, we want people to think you're evil in this moment. We want people to be hoping that you're not evil in this moment. But macro, what he did masterfully is he got an entire audience to empathize with a black man throughout the entirety of a horror movie when in that genre, typically in the kind of scream model, they die first. Yeah. And so that's interesting. That act of putting an entire audience in his shoes and giving the audience that uneasy feeling is what it feels like to be black in a sea of white. And he was trying to show us, what it would feel like to be an outsider for a sustained period of time when there's nothing you can really change about your circumstances. And you're also meeting your girlfriend's family. So you're trying to be on your best behavior, even though things are definitely weird. Totally. And, um, but here's, what's so good about that. Allison. So well, so, and when, when and the reason it's so good in my mind is it like the way you're describing that it would be easy to make that movie feel very heavy handed. Uh, totally. You know, and like kind of feel like it's shoving down your throat, which doesn't, you know, appeal to any side of the equation. Uh, this, he kind of, it's yeah. like Inception. He like, because it's just such a fast paced, uh, fun movie to watch, at the end of it, you have all those ideas in your head without even really exactly. knowing it, which is exactly. like. Exactly. You know, brilliant. you know now not to bring up Tiger Woods, apropos of nothing, talking to a black dude. <laughs> And it's those <laughs> tiny interactions. You know not to change your language and start saying my man just because oh. you're talking to a black person. Like, that. that's all in there now. Everyone who's seen Get Out 
has laughed at those characters along with a theater of people, or if they weren't laughing at them, they were thinking, why is everyone else laughing? What am I not understanding? Which is part of why I felt so urgent about getting people to go see it. I mean, I was proud of it and I wanted people to see it, but I also felt like people, a lot of people needed to see it, that I was really worried weren't going to go see it. And now based on how many people have told me like their parents have gone to see it just because they were hearing good things about it, um, makes me feel really good because it reached people that like the Ava DuVernay documentary 13th likely won't, uh, a population of people that doesn't want to sit around and think about race, but likes horror movies. Totally. Um, but I think the heavy handed thing is so interesting because it turns out Jordan's ability to kind of meet out comedy and horror is sort of, uncannily brilliant because he uses the comedy throughout the movie to diffuse the tension, which is how we use it in real life. And additionally, I think he had really good instincts about the audience's threshold for seriousness. And what speaks to that is the fact that, um, it's kind of out there now, but the original ending to the movie, which I think they might be putting in the DVDs is that, Oh, uh, what? Awesome. Yeah, the original ending is that the cop comes back. He successfully calls 911 and the cop comes. The white cop from the beginning? Yes. Yeah, the white cop from the beginning and arrests Chris. And the final scene is Rod in jail with Chris saying, like, can you remember anything? Is there anything you can tell us? And Chris is just like, it's over. Don't worry about it. It's over. And walks off back into the prison. And every audience was like, the movie was A+. Until that, you know, it was like this because of what you said. And then Jordan realized, like, they get everything throughout the movie. And all you need to trigger that response that I want from the audience is the blue and red light cue where you get just this feeling of dread in the whole audience of, like, he's fucked. Yeah. And the fact that that's our knee-jerk response to seeing police with a white evil girl on the ground and a black dude covered in blood says everything that he was trying to say in that prison scene. Yeah. So to be able to put a little humor back into it in that moment when the audi- when you know it had just been total carnage and the audience really needed a release, but he was still able to keep the integrity of the note that he was trying to end the movie on. It, totally. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant. It really you know? is. And, and it's the- fucking TSA, man. Jesus, that is the best. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> so uh, When that funny. door he's opens. So, <laughs> so funny. Our, like, every theater I was in, for the most part, was fairly full, but even the ones that I did that weren't totally full, people like clapped when everyone dies and they cheer when he shows up. Like it was more engaged of an audience than any movie I'd ever been in. And the other thing Jordan did is he put lines in the movie for Chris to say, mostly Chris, sometimes Rod, that he knew the audience would be yelling at the screen. Yeah. Which is also why it's called Get Out. So he, you know, after Georgina delivers that like chilling monologue about how they treat her like family because the matriarch, obviously, um, he says, that bitch is crazy. And I've been in screenings where I've heard people around me right before he says that line saying, like, that bitch is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> says awesome. it out loud. And so the audience feels so heard and seen by the movie. Um, and another layer of metaphor is that typically movies, especially for black audiences, feel like you're trapped in a sunken place where you're not even seeing yourself on screen, but also... You have no agency in what's happening on screen. So often it's infuriating if you're from a minority community. Um, 
you know, if you were Muslim to only watch movies where Muslims play terrorists, um, you know, et cetera. And so what he was doing with the entire movie was taking the audience out of the sunken place, giving characters lines that he knew were reflecting what the audience was thinking, seemingly responding to what they were saying, um, and letting this certain segment of our population have the hero and the protagonist they've never had. Um, so they can be with him the whole way and root him on and feel like he's making the decisions they would make realistically. And so I just think, I mean, he's just, Jordan is completely brilliant. And by the way, Daniel Kaluuya, who plays Chris, yeah. is like one of the best living actors in the world. He's he did amazing. that hypnosis scene. Where he starts crying? Five times. Yeah. He how, just how does, crying. how do you, you just can do that. He just, I can't do that. It's fucking nuts. He can do that. It's so amazing. And you say sunken place, and then that's kind of what being hypnotized is like. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> God damn. Yeah, it was just, it was really fucking, it was just, I told Travis that uh, the last time I had been so satisfied by going to see a movie was Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Wow. Ditto. That's really high praise. Which, god damn, that is a good so movie. So different. Also. It's very, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, the thing that, like I said, the thing that's so great about Get Out is there's all this, uh, well, the, there's the social thriller part of it. It's also just a, a tight-ass movie and is immensely satisfying to watch uh, yes, and finish. Um, and Mad Max is kind of the same thing where at the end you're like, was this movie like 35 minutes long? What the fuck? It's over? Yeah. Which yeah. almost never happens. Yeah, so true. And in fact, I have friends that have seen Get Out like a ton of times. I have one friend that's seen it 11 times because he said, he was like, I don't know that I'm ever going to be able to sit in a theater and watch, he used the same word, such a satisfying movie. Yeah, so I want to take advantage of it while I can't. So do you go and um, see these movies? Like, do you, do you have to like go? I mean, I know you go to the big premiere probably. Uh, but yeah, do you, I like, went to the premiere. Do you like try to sneak to a in? screenings. But do you ever like just um, go down I went to the on opening night? Yeah, but um, with like the... I went with my parents in Stanford. Yeah, I've seen it in a lot of different audiences. Awesome! Like it's really interesting because every audience is so different and is experiencing it in such a different way. Um, and the audience kind of takes on an identity of its own in this movie in terms of like how vocal are they, how involved are they, how easily scared are they, how focused are they totally. on the movie. Uh, um, I, one of my favorite things yeah. also, sorry, I'm really scattered. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, I love that the brother who, man, I don't know what that actor's name, your brother. In His the name movie. is Caleb Landry Jones. And Ooh, he's he is good at being a creep. Fuck. Um, no, he sure is. I think he should be the Joker, by the way. Oh, totally. He nice. could be a Joker. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. so true. Um, uh, I love that his weapon of choice is a lacrosse stick, which is like, there is no. I knew you would. There's no greater <laughs> uh, totem to douchebagness than walking around a, with a lacrosse stick while you're wearing khakis. You know what's so funny is that um, he's a, he's a Texas boy and had never, I think, held a lacrosse stick. Yeah. And I had to teach him how to cradle it. Oh my so god! Um, but did you also notice him playing badminton? Yes. Oh, totally. Yeah. Hilarious. Totally. Yeah, it's beautiful. Everything about it is perfect. It was a really fucking good movie, man. I love it. Um, oh, I'm so glad. All right, Allison, what's going on the rest of your day? The rest of my day um, is, 
work is working on all the things that I listed earlier, keeping tabs on everything. I'm trying to go visit an inmate in the Eastern Correctional Facility in upstate New York, so I'm going to try to see if I can weasel my way in there. Um, and uh, Prison is hard. Other... Prison time is hard, is isn't it? it? I mean, not going to... Uh, no, I'm, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant, like, from when I used to visit people in prison for stories, you call prison... To, to you know, try to visit someone, and it's like things that would normally be a two-day response time in normal oh, life man. is like a fucking month, and it's just the way this it is. is. This is a really weird way to talk about privilege, but one of the gifts of doing what I do is that processes like that are magically easier, even though they shouldn't make it easier for me because I'm clearly working on stuff to dismantle it. Um, but, you know, so... I like to use, for example, I cold email people constantly trying to get involved in things like this because I know that I'm likely to get a response or at least more likely than I would have been a couple years ago. Hell yeah. And so the incredible thing about a career in this industry is that in success, you're building up a couple different kinds of capital and you can funnel that right back into the things that actually matter to you. And in a perfect world, the work you do also mirrors what matters to you, which is one of the many ways I've been really, really lucky. But also it just means that I am now in a position to raise more money for Horizons. I can get into prisons when typically it's really hard, as you were just saying. I can not only just get into prisons, but I can walk around the cell blocks. Man. Like not, you know, in a meeting. I've never had a meeting in a visiting room. That is just bad with a, shit. Like a, backwards person sitting across the table i can like you know go into i've been into uh talk to people that are in solitary i've been to a meeting of gang leaders inside the prison in california i why why i mean not why would you go do those things but what what is what is in it for prison administration so the last visit i did in california i emailed a guy that i'd met a long time ago and um he runs a organization called the Anti-Recidivism Coalition, and um, he basically is has been going into these prisons for 15 years. So he has incredible relationships with the wardens, with all the captains of every yard. Yeah. And because he started his involvement with prisons teaching, he has kids to visit who are who were uh, imprisoned as kids and are now in adult general population prisons. Most of them, some of them are in other segments of the prison. Um, so when he gets to the prison, he just gives them a bunch of ID numbers and he, they tell him which block and which yard everyone is on. So we kind of walk around the prison. We don't even get pat down. We, we just walk around visiting everybody. And so I got to go with him and see that experience of it. And that's because he's put 15 years of goodwill in and his work makes the whole prison better because everyone, he does a lot of advocacy and he just recently changed the laws about um, yeah, minors being given uh, life without parole. Mm-hmm. That's no longer the case. So now a lot of these people who have been behaving as if they have nothing to lose because they're never getting out of prison have been given this hope which makes them behave differently. Totally. And so it, there's totally aligned um, interests. And he, you know, when he comes to visit, everyone's on their best behavior, sure, but it's also in their best interest to just let him go where he wants to go. Totally. So cool. I got to benefit from that with him, um, which definitely, like, I had some really long, detailed conversations with people, um, and 
one of the things that's most depressing to me is that this idea that putting people in prison is asking them to grow or change in some way is totally a farce. Because once they've, I've been in rooms with people that are more emotionally involved and self-aware than anyone I've met on the outside that are still going to serve out a life sentence. And there's, that just doesn't make any sense. Our world would be better with that person in it. Someone that's come back from something they did wrong, um, you know, thought about it, apologized for it, taken full responsibility for it, gotten degrees in college. Maybe they're a teacher. Maybe they volunteer. I mean, there's a ton of people like that in prisons, and sure. they're just sitting in there. Yeah. And it just drives me crazy that we ask people to be punished for the rest of their lives for the worst choice they ever made. I mean, imagine having to live out the consequences of the worst decision you ever made yeah. for the rest of your life. In a time when, especially with these kids, like, they're often 16 and 17. Their brains are still six years away from being done growing. No, it's insane. It just, it gets me all worked up. Um, but anyway, so I I do a lot with all of those things, and um, it's great because it makes me feel like, even though I don't, I'm not, like, shooting something right now or preparing to shoot something, um, it's time very, very well spent. And then the goal on sort of a bigger level for my career is to make sure that even when I am working on something and shooting something, it still feels like it's time really well spent. Cool. Um, it is, you are, Allison, you are... This is Travis. Sorry, this is Travis. <laughs> this is big Trav. um, Bridget's Travis, right? Are, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, you are so good at playing someone who is selfish, evil, uh, a horrible person that it is so confusing and disappointing to find out that you're a good person. Oh, wait till we stop. <laughs> wait till we stop recording, this is, man. This is so weird. It's so weird to hear Thank Marnie. You. It's so here. It's so weird to hear Marnie talk about things so is, selflessly. Is that ever hard? Do you ever find I've, I, even like your friends sort of responding to you? Because you were cast as Marnie for a specific reason, you know? I mean, you're, you can play the role, but, like, you're pretty, you're tall, you got all these sort of Marnie, uh, and in contrast to Lena Dunham, you're, like, you're not the underdog, right? Like, that's Marnie's character, that's at least yeah. ostensibly, superficially. Yeah. Um, do you ever find, but you, like Travis is saying, you are not Marnie in real life. Um but do you find people ever responding to you in a way where you're like, yo, I'm not Marnie. Stop fucking <laughs> treat me like this. Luckily, it's mostly people that I don't know who yeah. are expecting. I think a lot of people are reluctant to even come say hi to me that see me, you know, on the subway or whatever because they're expecting me to be like Marnie. And Marnie certainly wouldn't respond well in certain circumstances when that happened. Unless he like, was a hot dude with an acoustic rooms. guitar. Like, Give me space <laughs> or something rude like that. But when they do come up to me and I'm, you know, myself, there are a lot of times they'll say something like, I'm so glad you're not like Marnie. And um, it, so that part of it is really interesting. But the other thing is that, like, I mean, right now, sort of inexplicably, I have short blonde hair. I'm actually not what? tall. I'm 5'5". Five five. You have short blonde hair? Yeah, I got, I became blonde and then I cut it. So I look, I look very different than I typically do. And so it's the very sharp eyed people who typically follow me on Instagram that know what I look like, which is also why it was so easy for me to go into screenings of get out unnoticed. Cause they're looking up at a screen with someone with long brown hair and bangs. Oh, nice. And there's this girl sitting. Yeah. But also though, every time I go through TSA, which has been like a hundred times, 
since the movie came out. Oh, they fucking hate I you. I feel like they're all thinking, like, she's in disguise again. <laughs> she's yeah. just working on her next thing. Um, oh, that's I mean, awesome. <laughs> if I do this right, then every time I finish something, I'm going to worry that that's going to be the lasting impression people have of me. I used to be worried that people would only think of me as Marnie forever, and I'd never be able to escape it, which is an incredible uh, cross to bear. I mean, I should be so lucky to be part of something that right. is such a lasting thing. But especially as it was pertaining to casting, it was starting to really concern me because I was having trouble convincing people that I could play anything other than Marnie. And then along comes Rose, who's using that against an audience, the the lack of belief in my ability to be anything other than what I seem to be was exactly what Jordan needed to deploy to fool the audience and exactly what I needed in my career to show directors and casting directors that I have the ability for, I guess, pure evil. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they needed to know that, but I, I gave them that option as well. So, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting, and I hope it continues to be interesting. It kind of shifts. Like, I spent an entire day at the uh, at the new Smithsonian uh, section, the um, Museum of African American History and Culture, and I, I didn't think about how weird it would be to see Rose walking through that museum. Um, and so then I became really self-conscious, and everything was fine, but there I got a lot of side-eye of, like, you know, people trying to remind themselves that I'm not that character. And you can't like but unzip so, your skin. You can't put on Yeah, exactly. Face. And just become, exactly. Um, so I, I mean, it would be a very fortunate situation to play multiple people throughout my career whose identities I seem to carry with me. But the next frontier, um, I, God, I don't know. I don't know if it would be any fun to play someone who's just sympathetic all the time. I don't know anyone like that. Yeah. So I'm, typically not drawn to characters like that i, I don't know anyone who's just the good guy 24 7 i think you should explore a full-on villain role personally i mean without just even any movie. without any trickery like it's a total fucking iago just full-on evil play iago in a heartbeat oh that would be cool yeah i wonder that if there's anyone cool. important listening to this t- this time <laughs> nope. Pro- probably not <laughs> well travis and i are gonna you get a script together <laughs> um allison uh Thank you so fucking much for talking to us. This Wait, is but I, I feel oh, like I oh, didn't oh. get to talk to you guys about your lives, and I want to. And well, you've listened to the podcast. Yeah, That's I know, it. That's but all we got I just on. want to say that I love what you guys do, and I I love the lives that you have that I feel like I can picture so clearly. Um, and I will come and visit you someday to see it in real life. Actually, um, you live in my favorite state in the U.S. Yeah, why don't you ever I'm come and visit? Jealous. I'd love to. I will come yeah. as soon as I can, as soon as I have a window. We have a real, we have a real shit state prison here. Yeah. You do? If you have any interest in seeing how shit <laughs> the prison horrible. can be. Yeah. It sucks, man. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and we've got a total see. fucking shit GOP state oh. run legislature oh, that's God. just full of nuts. No. Um, so there's plenty of, of stuff to do over here. <laughs> if you're interested. Beautiful. <laughs> the air is nice. And the air is nice. Well, actually, it turns out Missoula actually has some of the worst air quality in the country. Yeah. Um, but outside and of Missoula. There was that John Crocker book. But other than that. It's also uh, a sexual assault capital of the world. Um, but, uh, but 
housing prices are prohibitively expensive. Yeah, so that's soaring. we got that going for us now. Um, so yeah, no, it's well, really, you're welcome to come try to buy a house in New York if you ever feel like a, it's too prohibitive. That's a good point. That's a, I love yeah. it, it, man, when Lena Dunham goes to Iowa and she's like, "How much does this apartment cost?" I oh, loved so it. Good. She's like, "I'll take it." That's awesome. I know it's so real. If you're ever feeling bad about your rent, just go on Street Easy and look up what your rent would buy in Manhattan, and you'll just feel like Oof. this icy cold relief rush through your veins that's that crazy. this isn't your life it's so crazy um uh yeah seriously Allison, it was really selfishly it was great to catch up with you and hear what's going on in your life um uh, more catch up from you but we'll do that off air we'll do that off air yeah i gotta tell you about these sheep i bought thank you so much for oh god the sheep <laughs> um, i love it thank you for so much for participating yeah allison we're gonna do our sign off but stay on for one second and then we'll say goodbye to you Okay, Does well, wait, I want to thank oh. you guys for having me and then also say that I thank you to Bridget because <laughs> she, I feel like she's believed in me the entire way, and that means a lot. That's probably true. She really does. It, it, this was, I had to uh, lie to her about when we were recording this so she didn't accidentally show up. Oh, like she forgot her lunch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but when are you guys well, recording that? We'll make sure she's here. Yeah. Well, and we're gonna we have your phone number now, so we can just get that up on the Facebook page. So if anyone needs to get a hold of Allison, honestly, um, I, it's probably available. Oh, it's, horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Allison. We really thing. appreciate it. Uh, this has been Jamie and Travis present. present. Jamie and Travis. Jamie and Travis. Jamie and Travis present. Travis. Yes, Jamie. Earlier, I told you about some uh, self-diagnosing I had done. Reflection. Gross. Um, well, I think the diagnosis was, though, that I uh, you am in like crisis that. because I cannot clean up after myself, you but I also clean. require things around me to be clean. True. Which is ridiculous. And then you like offered me all this advice, and man, I totally forgot it. Who was the person you told me to call? I told you to call Missoula Janitorial Services. They are licensed and insured and have been keeping Missoula clean for the last six years. I think that's exactly what you told me. That's exactly what I told you. And they specialize in commercial building cleaning, so no job is too big. Oh, but you remember what I said to that. I said that we don't have an office building, it's just my house. Oh, um, <laughs> well, that's not a problem. And here's why it's not a problem. Yeah? Missoula Janitorial Services also offers weekly and bi-weekly cleaning for your home. Literally with one phone call. And I know you have a cell phone and a landline. Now. I do. You have both. A mobile. You're like kids. I have a mobile and a portable. A mobile phone. Uh-huh. That's what they call them in Britain. Uh-huh. And a portable phone. Portable? This is a portable phone. It's a landline. Oh, it's a landline, but it's wireless. But it doesn't have a wire connected to oh, it. Oh, that's pretty good. So I can go anywhere up to 25 feet away from right here with this phone. Aren't you also a property owner? Uh, I'm also a property owner. And I'll tell you what, when people move out and they just junk up my, my house and then new people have to move in, it's a real pain in the ass to get it livable again. Missoula Janitorial Services also offers deep cleaning for property owners and their rentals. Are you kidding me? I'm just saying. Okay, but then also, I remember you telling me something about this guy and like he means business. Who this is guy, he? Butte guy, Nathan Trusolino. Butte, tough, amazing. He can take care of your house. Really? Really? And your business. What's his number? 406-490-2710. Or you can visit MissoulaJanitorialServices.com. Just in case, Jamie, did you hear me? Yeah. You're not really looking at me. No. Look at me. You know what I'm thinking about? You know what I'm thinking about? How dirty I'm thinking about all the th- awesome stuff I'll be able to do when I'm not cleaning. When you're not worried about cleaning. Oh. How about that? 
406. I'm going to get into building fishing rods. Oh, you're going to tie some flies? I'm going to tie some flies. Oh, man. And I'm going to go... You're going to run your business efficiently now. Oh, I'm going to catch up on Netflix. That's for sure. Probably while I'm tying flies. I'm going to watch Longmire instead of cleaning my house. you got to give me this guy's phone number. 406-490-2710 or visit MissoulaJanitorialServices.com. Awesome. Oh, This episode of Jamie and Travis Present was brought to you by Missoula Janitorial Services. Cleaning is a necessary part of life, but that doesn't mean you have to do it.